Welcome to the More Than Anxiety Podcast. I'm Megan DeVito, and I'm the life coach for stressed out and anxious women who want more out of life. I'm here to help you create a life you love to live where anxiety isn't holding you back. Get ready for a lighthearted approach to managing anxiety through actionable steps, a lot of truth talk, and inspiration to take action so you walk away feeling confident, calm, and ready to live. Let's get to it. Welcome to the More Than Anxiety Podcast. This is episode 54, and I thought that today I would share with you the five things that help me and that still help me move through anxiety when it pops up. The idea for this podcast came to me today when I was taking a walk, listening to a different podcast about having epiphanies and dealing with big emotions. I had a different episode planned today, but um, technology wasn't cooperating. That happened several times today. So I was considering other topics and I get tons of inspiration and great ideas from listening to stories and to listening to podcasts. So since you are listening to this, I think it's fairly safe to say you probably have some pretty big emotions and anxiety, and I thought it would be helpful for you to hear some of the moments and the thoughts I had, as well as some of the things that I've learned that helped me. And this is kind of an eclectic list, as it should be, since epiphanies come from out of the blue. It's also a work in progress, because the more I learn and the more I have to practice all of the things that I share here with you and in my own coach and in my coaching, the more I continue to learn... And the more I learn, the more I have to share. So it's a big win-win. But before I go too far, in case this is your first episode with me, I want to say thank you. And I want to share a quick story about my background so that you know my history of anxiety and you also get to hear a little bit of how anxiety is for me now. So remember that we are always works in progress. And the more I learn and uncover about anxiety, the more places that I find that I need to work on myself. And this used to feel really overwhelming, like I was never going to be done. But I've decided, I just decided that it makes me better and better, and I feel pretty amazing. So that's a big deal. I will keep getting better as a coach, and a mom, and a wife, and a friend, and all those things, all of it. And I hope that you will too. So a little bit about my anxiety story. And if you've already heard this, just bear with me. I'm not going to go into too many details, but it is important to know where I started. My anxiety started when I was in probably the third grade. I used to feel really anxious and sick. My dad would go out of town on like a weekend business trip, not even, I mean, for like overnight or two days. And I would be really anxious. And it just morphed into really pretty heavy health anxiety that lasted until I was 40. So third grade's what, nine or 10 years old until I was 40. It got really super bad in middle school and high school. It was off the rails in college. And then it just was nonstop. It was like frequent anxiety and panic attacks. It was irrational, obsessive thoughts, all about my health, all about like obscure diseases and things like that. It was something that I really didn't have any control over. I didn't have a lot of resources. Uh, this was back in the 80s and 90s when nobody really talked about mental health. There weren't the like smorgasbords of medications that we have now. And therapy was still one of those things that you only went to if you were nuts. So I went to therapy for maybe about a month and I did take medication. I was on and off medication for a very long time. The medication helped. I didn't stay with the therapy near long enough for it to help because it made me feel more anxious. And I was just always doing everything I could 
to make it stop. And I was giving it all the attention because it was so overwhelming. It was like I could not get more than maybe a day where I didn't feel like I was crumbling. And when I look back, like I feel like most of my best memories are have this haze of anxiety over it and I hate it. I'm very resentful about that and I'm working through that because I know that it taught me a lot of good lessons and it got me here today, but it still kind of makes me angry. I didn't know much of anything about what was going on like inside my body or about anxiety back then. And I was just doing my best to survive. And I did. (laughs) Uh, I remember the first thing I heard that made a difference for me, though. And I want to share that with you first. So I'm going to share five things. And the first one is all about aspartame. Uh, I think I learned this when I was probably 22, 23. I know that I had just gotten married. I got married. I graduated from college and I got married. And somewhere along the line, I was living in this apartment with my husband and my mom, who was definitely my support person, bless her, because I called her a lot. I'll get to that in a little bit. But she said, Hey, my friend just gave me this article about the connection between aspartame and anxiety. And I think you should read it. So I read it and I was like, oh, it's worth a shot because I looked through the list of foods that were on there for like, this was back in the 90s, right? You were supposed to eat low fat and you could eat all the sugar-free stuff you wanted. So I ate a lot of very low fat foods and drank a lot of Diet Coke and I ate a lot of that sugar-free Yoplait and I chewed a lot of sugar-free gum and everything was sugar-free and I was a wreck. So I was reading the symptoms of aspartame poisoning. And all of these symptoms were like, I was hitting every bullet point. I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. I've had all of these things. I feel this way all the time. So I decided I wasn't going to eat that anymore. And I feel a lot better. Like my symptoms really disappeared by not eating that. I probably, I mean, definitely when I was in college, I kind of survived off of minute rice and Diet Coke. So that's so healthy, isn't it? All we've done is swap ramen noodles, but <laughs> that was kind of what I had lived off of. And I was not reacting great to it, but the symptoms of the aspartame poisoning were very similar to symptoms of anxiety, symptoms of lupus, symptoms of all these other diseases, all of which I was sure that I had at one point. And so when I stopped, I noticed that those physical symptoms that I had actually disappeared. And this is just important because all of the symptoms made me feel like something was wrong. I didn't know it at the time, but I found out a lot later that feeling symptoms and then making them mean something else is part of the cycle that I was stuck in and that people who are anxious just tend to get stuck in. What I did learn is that when I was eating aspartame, I had a lot of physical symptoms and my anxiety got better when I stopped. Not on purpose, but because there was less for me to fixate on. So if you're super sensitive to how your body feels, especially if you have health anxiety or you start to spiral quickly, this might be something for you to watch for. But what's important here is just knowing that the symptoms were causing me to be anxious and to start thinking about what might be wrong. So what can you do with this? What I would tell you in a coaching situation would be to know your symptoms of anxiety so that when you feel those symptoms, you know exactly what's going on. Because this was the first time I noticed that my fingers and my arms felt tingly as my first sign of anxiety. And that was a big deal. I learned this totally accidentally. I was taking a walk at night with my mom and she gave me a piece of gum and I noticed my tongue and my fingers went numb and I spit the gum out and thought, oh my God. 
I just figured it out. I remember exactly where we were walking. This is something that I coach every woman I work with on. You have to know your body before you can learn to trust your body and not your thoughts. That was number one. Number two, walking. I just told you that I walked with my mom sometimes. Um, This was early on when I was like, we would be, I was living in a different place and my mom was close by and we would walk at night. We would just take a walk and um, it was a great for me. I'm super close with my mom and it was a great for us to be able to get out and get some exercise. I had a baby at this point and it was just nice because he would stay home with his dad and I would walk with my mom. But as far as walking went, I continued to walk, but the walking changed. My anxiety was still there. It was still very, very present. I had like this next story about walking is I have four kids and they were all little at around the same time. I was also teaching. I was a part-time teacher for a really long time. So when I would get home from school and my, like I was just overloaded from teaching And then dealing with kids after dinner, I would take a walk. And I've told this story lots of times about how I would take a walk so I could eat cookies and not feel too terribly guilty about eating cookies at night. That's probably some other kind of problem, but it worked for me. And I would walk in the evenings just to get away and to have some quiet where nobody was talking to me, where I could just be alone. And I didn't have any intention behind this walking except for to escape and eat cookies. That was it. There was no intention that had anything to do with anxiety. But I noticed that I started to feel better. I noticed that I was sleeping better. And I actually really enjoyed walking and my legs started, like I started feeling stronger. I noticed that I was just like, I'm like, wow, like my pants fit different. Everything is changing. This is really great. And I feel pretty good. I was still anxious, but I wasn't as anxious. And I don't even know that that registered to me at that point. But this is important, again, because it was unintentional, but I was changing my habits. Yes, to catch a break from being a mom and a teacher and everything that comes with that, but also how I reacted to stress and overwhelm. I was unintentionally lowering my stress level and giving myself a break in a way that didn't involve a glass of wine or asking my parents for reassurance or trying to make the anxiety stop. I was out moving and I was refocusing, which is always the best option when you're anxious. I just didn't know it back then. It was an accident. So how can you use this? When you're stressed out, you have to de-stress in a way that involves movement. Moving helps move that energy out of your body and lower your cortisol levels. It also helps you sleep better, which gives your anxious brain a break. And I just started with a short walk in the evening for about 20 minutes. You could have a dance party if you want. The important part is the movement and using it to calm yourself instead of doing whatever your current anxious habit is. Find what kind of movement feels good for you and make it a habit. And if you're not sure how to make moving part of your daily habit, talk to me. This is Wellness 101, and we can make it a goal for you to achieve when we work together. Number three, journaling. There's so much cool journaling stuff out there and so many awesome journals. I could buy a million of them and just fill them up, but that's not the way I started either. Remember, I fell into every single one of these things on accident. This one happened because of my grandma. My grandma was the sweetest thing, you guys. My grandma lived to be 99 and she kept a journal, 
like a diary for years. She had stacks of these things filled up and I'd never paid attention to them until I was like later on down the road. Okay. So my grandma would write in these little calendar diaries every day, things like what she made for dinner, who she saw when she was out and about, maybe what the weather was, whose birthday it was, something good, maybe like she and my grandpa were farmers and she would write down like the cost of corn or something like that. It was never like her deepest, darkest secrets or anything like that. It was just real like superficial information in case anybody wants to know what the cost of corn and the temperature were on like May 15th in 1982. My grandma probably wrote that down somewhere, but I thought it was sweet and endearing. And these calendar journals came from my dad's office. So I snagged one. They were free. They were like those things that you give your best customers was like this little diary journal. So I took one home and I kind of copied my grandma. I was an adult. I thought it was adorable that she had kept these notes for years and I decided I was going to do it too. She was in her 90s when I started doing this. I didn't journal the way I do now. I wrote two or three quick sentences about my day and they were pretty generic. However, I always wrote down every single night before I went to bed, I did this, and I still do it. I always wrote down how I was feeling and about my anxiety to have proof in case I needed to know when my symptoms started for a doctor appointment. Seriously, I thought I was dying and I was writing it down in case the doctor said, when did your symptoms start? I was going to need that journal to tell them. But what I noticed instead was that when I would go back and read what I had written, It was that I could feel the same way over and over again, but have different ideas about what I was feeling. I also had a major aha moment when I realized that I wasn't dead or any worse than I was when I first thought that I felt something that was going to kill me. Essentially, I was just proving my anxiety wrong by trying to keep a journal for a worst case scenario diagnosis. It was totally backwards, but it worked. How can you use this? Journaling is fantastic for all kinds of anxiety, not just health anxiety symptoms, for a couple of reasons. First, it moves the thoughts out of your head and onto paper where they lose a lot of their power. Just writing down what you're afraid will happen or what you think about yourself can make it seem less powerful and less real. And second, you also have a running record of anxious thoughts or predictions that you can use for evidence to show you that the things that you worry or think about over and over and over and over again never actually happen. Whether it's that somebody is talking about you or that you'll be trapped and not be able to find a bathroom or that you'll have a panic attack and die or that you have some rare disease, you have proof against the fear. And that's really powerful. When you get to see it with your own eyes, like, oh my gosh, I've written this over and over and I'm fine. I just think I'm not fine. That's crazy. It was one of those things where I'm like, I am so glad I wrote this crap down <laughs> and I don't even have to use it to, for like to prove myself that I'm dying. It just worked out. The fourth thing, again, this involves a walk, but it was hearing the phrase that anxiety is wishing for what you don't want. Here's how this one started. I was walking again. And at this point, I was walking further and I was being very intentional about walking. Like at this point, I just kind of wanted to get some muscle and I was feeling really good. Like I was kind of getting in shape. Um, And 
I had never heard anything about manifestation. And I don't know that I was actually understanding what I was hearing. I was I was listening to an audio copy of You Are a Badass. And I'm like, I don't really understand how any of this works. It kind of feels like Harry Potter. And it kind of feels a little magical and maybe like something I shouldn't be paying attention to. I was very much raised in the church. But something shifted when I learned about how your thoughts focus and that I was focusing my brain on more of what I didn't want. And every time I paid attention to anxiety, it was just giving it energy. I don't think I was anywhere, like I wasn't really buying into necessarily the, I could manifest $10,000 thing, but I was definitely buying into the, wait a minute, that's actually what happens inside your brain. I had not started coaches training or anything like that. I didn't know how that worked. But the thing about thinking is the more you try to not think, the more you end up thinking about the thing that you don't want to think about. (laughs) Did you catch that? The more that you try to not think, the more you end up thinking about the thing that you don't want to think about. I think this is called metacognition. But for me, the more I tried not to be anxious and I tried to stop thinking or gave attention to how I felt or what I thought, the worse it got. And this is always the case with anxiety because it's how you think about how you feel and vice versa. So when you're not thinking about it, it's not there. And then of course, as soon as you think about it, it comes right back. So you think it was never gone. And yes, those thoughts are going to come and sometimes they are 100% out of control. This is where my coaching is different than a lot of other coaches because I know what it's like to feel like you can't stop the thoughts. You're not choosing to think the anxious thoughts and they sometimes are relentless. Guys, I know that it's not like, well, just decide not to think about it. I know that's a really, really big ask. But coaching helps you use mindfulness and to refocus on what's working and what is true and what is going well and how you feel. And even things as small as how your sock feels on your foot when those thoughts are overwhelming can make a huge difference. So what do you do with this? When you notice that your thoughts are feeding your anxiety, you can use those grounding tools that you have now or the two tools that you'll use in coaching to divert your attention away from what you're afraid of without trying to make them stop. Because when you try to make them stop, it is a surefire way to keep them coming, allowing them and allowing yourself to feel anxious and letting those thoughts go is key. For me, though, just hearing that anxiety was wishing for what I didn't want and that I didn't have to believe everything I thought was huge. It seems so obvious now that I know all of this, but back then, I was pretty sure that everything I thought was true and that it was probably a premonition or an omen. It was crazy, but that's where I was. I fell into this, you guys. And the fifth thing is about reassurance. I told you I'm super close with my mom. I've mentioned my parents over and over again because when I was anxious, the only thing I knew to do that made me feel better was to call my mom and dad and have my dad tell me that I was being crazy or my mom to tell me that she loved me and if there was anything wrong, she would be afraid too. I am telling you that I did this until I was 40. That long. I also was a Googling phenom, and maybe you are too, because it feels so good, doesn't it? When you think you're just making sure or just checking so you can feel better, and then it doesn't feel better, or it feels better for just this really short amount of time, and you get that little hit of dopamine, and the anxiety shrinks a little. 
until it comes flying back at you. So you Google it again and you ask someone else and you go back to the ER and back to the doctor and then you find the next thought that grabs you by the emotions. Even though this feels really good and it helps for the short term, what's actually happening is that you are teaching your brain that this is the solution to feeling or thinking anxiously and really you're just reinforcing the behavior. This was my only defense against anxiety for the entire time I was anxious, and this habit runs deep in me. Still, when I feel anxious, I have the feeling that I need to call my mom and tell her. For me, it helped me just to make two simple rules. Here are the rules that I have for myself. One, I never Google symptoms anymore. Google is the grim reaper, and we all know it now. We didn't before, but we know now. Google will kill you quickly but it really won't. My second rule is I give myself 24 hours to calm down. If I still feel anxious, if I still have the same thought, I am allowed to mention what I'm anxious about and I have to call it anxiety and I'm only allowed one time and then I have to handle it. No more circling back unless something is growing or getting worse and so far nothing's happened. This has worked really well for me. So what do you do with this? You have to notice when you have the urge to ask someone else or look something up on the internet because you think something that makes you feel anxious. That's really what's happening. You have the urge to solve a problem that doesn't exist. This can be a feeling in your body or maybe a thought that you have. You might think that you bombed a presentation at work, so you want to call your coworker to be sure that your boss didn't say anything about you. Or it might be like me and you think you have some random disease and you need to know that, you're, know that your mom thinks that you're safe because she loves you and she would surely freak out if you were sick. But when you notice the anxious thought, it gives you that moment to pause and to choose a different action, like journaling or taking a walk or like breathing or doing something creative until that urge passes. And I promise you it will pass. It might feel like it is taking an eternity But I promise you, the more you practice that pause, the sooner that feeling will go away and the sooner the thought will go away. That pause is so important. And what happens next is powerful. I can help you come up with the next steps that feel good to you so that you stop falling back into those anxious tendencies. And we'll also figure out why you're thinking that you need to help, you need help to feel better. There are lots of emotions and thoughts that get bottled up inside those feelings that we call anxiety, but when you let yourself feel them and take care of yourself, you feel less anxious less often. Use the pause. You have to find it. All of these things that I'm sharing with you happened to me on accident without any formal therapy to speak of and without tons of inner work and they were amplified when I got my coaching certification because I learned so much about my nervous system and why we think the way that we do. And since I learned these on accident, you have to know that they aren't steps that are complicated or difficult, only that they take some intention and time. You can't do them once and expect to see a huge change. You can't even do them for a week and expect to see a huge change. However, I can also tell you that one morning, You'll wake up and you'll wonder what happened and how you feel so good because I've seen it happen in my own life and I see it week after week with the people I coach. If you're ready to stop doing the same thing over and over and feeling anxious, you have to make changes and I can help you do that. 
I work one-on-one with people. And you can learn more about how I can specifically help you by scheduling a coaching consultation. And you can do that by using the link in the show notes or by going to my website, megandevito.com forward slash work with me. You can stop letting anxiety run your life in an instant, but it won't fall in your lap. If this episode was helpful to you, I would so much appreciate a review and a follow. And if you know somebody else who needs to hear this, please share this episode with them. I know we can knock out this epidemic of anxiousness, and I know that coaching is powerful help. If I don't talk to you on a call, I'll be back again next week. Take care. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the More Than Anxiety podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review so others can easily find this resource as well. And of course, if you're ready to feel more relaxed, have more energy, more confidence, and a lot more fun, go to megandevito.com forward slash work with me or just to the show notes to talk to me more about coaching. See you soon.